All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite set. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? What up, horror heads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts, I'm Daniel DeBona. And I'm David Uyoa. And we are back, baby. It has been a while. Uh, I have had a couple of rough Wednesdays. Um, <laughs> anyone who was waiting for us to do The Nun two weeks ago, literally the minute I went to log on to the stream here, my webcam just completely quit. Um, and then as you're wont to do, the next day when I went to get it fixed, it was working just fine. So we're mm-hmm. thinking we're going to be back. Then following week, last week, storm comes through, absolutely destroys a fence. Two dogs get loose. I'm just trying to fix it, keep them from running away. That ended up taking me all in the of middle Wednesday. of the storm. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, that ended up taking me all Wednesday night. And so it has been a journey to get here. And we know the Nun 2 has been out in theaters for a little while now. We had this plan to come out right <laughs> as it was released. We try, we really do. But if you are joining us tonight, it is because we are going to review The Nun, released in 2018, a spinoff of The Conjuring Universe. One of the things out there that is, you know, it's it's just passe now. You've got to create an entire, you know, universe around one movie that does right. well. And the, the shared universe. Shared universe. There yeah. we go. The Conjuring has done this and brought us many a horror, some good, some bad, some haunt your dreams. What about the nun, Dave? Take us through this, man. Does it stick with you? So, you know, this is this is an odd one because I think I, I very rarely change my tune when it comes to movies. Um, when I like them, I like them. And when I don't, I don't. And I have often gone back and rewatched movies that I didn't like. And I was like, man, you know, I was I was wrong. That happened to me with what we do in the shadows. Right. I guess I was in the wrong mood when I first saw it and I saw it and I was like, this is garbage. I, I have I, I, I didn't laugh. I laughed twice. Both times were with the werewolves and they're not the focus of the movie. <laughs> and it's not their movie. No. Uh, and then I saw it again years later and I was like, man, what the fuck was I on? Because that's awesome. Yeah. So um, that's what kind of happened here as a huge fan of um of Juan and his conjuring universe i was on board with this because the conjuring 2 is incredible and arguably the scariest part of the movie is valak right and she blew me out of the water in that movie and so i was like man this thing is going to be fantastic and i i I remember going to see it and being really disappointed and i was like man you know i i don't um, I don't get it. Like she was to me, not scary. Um, I remember, I remember thinking there was one scene I really liked, which was the first night that they're in the Abbey. And I was like, that was great. Everything else was kind of just meh. And so when, when you brought this up, like, Hey, let's, let's do, um, let's do the nun because the nun two's coming out. I was like, okay, well, yeah, you know, that's, that's the time to do it. But I wasn't excited about revisiting this one. Like literally any other Conjuring movie, I'm down all the time. 
Right. Even La Llorona. I love that movie. So um, got to. <laughs> I know. I know I'm in the majority, uh, the minority <laughs> there, um, uh, as I am in the podcast. You know, hey. our, uh, our podcast Latino here. So, um, wow, was I fucking wrong about this movie? Um, is it great? No, I will say that. I don't think it's great, but it is really good at what it does. And for me, this movie is almost like a modern hammer horror. And I don't know why I didn't view it that way when I saw it, because I was deep, deep, deep in a hammer horror binge when I saw this movie. And it just didn't do it for me when I saw it the first time. Seeing it again now, I was like, wow, what the fuck was I on? Because this, t- to me, it hit all the beats that it needed to hit. Yeah, you know, it, I, I remember when I suggested this and you're like, yeah, fine, I'll watch that piece of shit again, right? Like, that was like your exact reaction, I'm pretty sure. That was it. <laughs> and this was one I had kind of, I, this was my first time seeing this one, actually, because I don't, I start, I start to get wary of, of these of like spinning off such like a minor character, you know, like I had watched all the Annabelle movies. And so when this one came out, I was like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I need this universe to get any bigger. I I, I don't know. And then it, then it just kind of fell by the wayside and I never watched it. Uh, So then a couple of weeks ago, we were getting ready to do this episode, finally sat down and watched the nun and it's scary, man. It's got some great moments. Yeah, there are definitely some negatives here. Like you said, is it good? Yes. Is it great? No. But I mean, it has got some shit that sticks with you. I, I really ended up enjoying this movie a lot more than I thought I would even once it had started. What's really funny is, as I was looking back through my notes prepping for tonight, there's like a distinct line in my notes where you can tell that I went from just watching to kind of tear the movie when we got onto the podcast to genuinely enjoying myself. Right. Because my notes change from jokes and making fun of things that happen to like, oh, make sure you talk about this. Yeah. And so it's it's a movie that takes you on a really interesting ride. Like you said, it, it is very Hammer Horror-esque. And so just like with a hammer horror movie, a lot of times when it starts, if you're not in the right mindset, you get into this and you're going, what, what the hell? Like any of this makes sense. Why should I care about any of this? And then you can consciously or unconsciously make the decision to just go along for the ride at a certain point. And especially if you're new to hammer horror, that is a very odd experience. And Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's real easy to make that decision. Like when you go back and you watch those Hammer Horror Dracula movies, real early into it, it's real easy to decide, you know what? Okay, let's go. I see where I see what you're at. Let's do it. Sometimes it's tougher. Uh, when we did uh, Captain Kronos, right? I, I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to buy in to that ride. It's and, a lot to buy into. Watching. And so you eventually kind of find that moment where you either settle in or don't. And I did settle into this movie and I ended up really enjoying it. It's there's there's a lot of good takeaways here. There's a lot of things that could have been tweaked a little more or a few things that could have been tweaked a little less that would have made this movie better. But I think that it has some genuinely scary moments. 
I think that it has a a creep factor that does really kind of yes. settle in. There's a the, it's an the, atmosphere. There we go. Atmosphere. There, there's there's a feeling to this movie that that really kind of sticks with you. And you get once you're into that and you kind of immerse yourself in the world of this uh, convent nunnery, uh, yep. you know, cloister, whatever the right word I'm looking for mm -hmm. here is. Once you kind of immerse yourself in that and you let it become everything that is is your experience in that then you start to notice things that are just kind of in the background and creepy or you start to let all those setting things really start to affect you instead of just watching for you know like ah well where's the nun you know like once yeah. you once you start to experience the whole movie there's a lot of really good stuff to take away from and i know that you have catholic school experience correct I do. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> in, in fact, m most of my education was in Catholic school. Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, does, does that add an element to the, to, to this at all? Like just you know, to, having that experience? I think it does because while I don't consider myself Catholic anymore, um, you know, I'm, I'm not devout. I'll attend mass every now and then, um, you know, when I have to, um, culturally i'll always be catholic it's 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 oh it's uh you know if it's if it's a part of your history it's it's there always, right you know um and i attended catholic elementary school catholic high school um catholic college okay. um and um i'm even doing a master's degree right now through boston college which is a, a Catholic Jesuit university. Right. So um, like, and, and I work at a Catholic high school, you know, so like, I can't escape this. It's, it's part, <laughs> it's part of my uh, it's, it's part of the fabric of who I am, you know, whether or not I subscribe to, you know, the, the dogmatic beliefs. Um, and I was taught by nuns um, when I was in elementary school, I very briefly attended a school uh, very famously down here in Miami that um, where, where a nun was actually murdered oh, by, a, by a monk who had fallen in love with her. Oh it, was, it was the strangest thing. You can look it up. It was called Holy Cross Academy. And um, it is just the wildest story. Um, and it's weird to talk about it that way because like, you know, she was a person right? And, and so is he. And so it's like, it's, it's a terribly sad and unfortunate story, but it's the exactly the kind of thing that you think of when you think of the nun, you know, where it's like, you know, um, uh, there's, uh, there's something wrong in this place. And, and I did feel that way in that school. It was very weird. Um, you know, and, and I, uh, one of my very first teaching jobs was at a school run by nuns. And it was odd. It was odd. And, and, and you know, conversely, I work at a school run by um, a, 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 not a group of, of priests, but, but you know, uh, religious brothers. And it's, it's a totally different environment. I mean, these right. are the most laid back guys you've ever met. They're so cool. Like they'll, they'll open up a bottle of whiskey in their office and like say, <laughs> hey, you got to sit down. You got to try this thing. It's fantastic. You know, so it, it, there's there's all sorts of different, I think, um, sex when it comes to Catholicism. But that image of a nun who is very angry and wants to dole out, um, you know, Catholic justice. 
right. is one that that I think, if you're familiar with it, drums up um, all sorts of trauma. And you know what's what's really interesting to me about watching this movie and the whole thing uh, essentially taking place in this convent is. It, it took a little bit for me to get immersed in there because while I have Catholic family, I was not raised Catholic. And so nuns are almost a foreign concept to me. Like I know what a nun is. Like I get it, right? It's, it's a woman who's married to God and she stays chaste and, and this is her life and that's what she does. And she devotes herself to service. And, you know, I, I understand what a nun is. But I also understand what Lithuania is. And if I went there, I'd have no idea what was going on. Right. Like right. I know it's a country. That is the that is That's where I put it. <laughs> thank you. Um, that is where I, I fell into this weird place of uncomfort, discomfort while watching this movie, but it added to how scary it was. And that was because. I didn't have any frame of reference for some of these things that they were talking about or for some of these things that were just happening. The idea that there's a per that there's a that there's just always a person praying in this one thing. Now, the movie did lead me to believe that's not a common thing in a convent. It's just right. something that this one does. But just the idea, like I went and looked it up, and there are convents where that exists. Yeah, it's where called perpetual adoration. Yes. Yeah. That blew my mind. Like the like that you have an eight hour shift where you're just on your knees praying. I would assume in Latin a lot of the time, right? Like, <laughs> well, and and that time, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, you know, it was it was the late forties or early fifties? Uh, um, I can't remember. I've got nineteen fifty two. Yeah, so, there you go. And so, like th that type of stuff, it just it adds to how creepy this is because it becomes. Uh, almost it becomes a, a a stranger in a strange land type thing added on where I'm now suddenly immersed in this world that I know very little about. Look, I, I, I'm putting on one hand what I know about Catholicism, right? Like Mary's a big deal. You pray to yeah, her. Huge, uh, yeah. You do confession, right? Mm -hmm. That's a thing. Uh, rosaries. Those, yep. those are, and, and you call it mass and their weddings are super long. There we go. There's my five. Ridiculously things. long. There's no so need long. for them to be this long. So long. <laughs> There's the five things I know about Catholicism. And so I'm now just completely immersed in not only an environment where everything around me plays into this, but every character is deeply, deeply embedded in this world. And so it, it ends up becoming a thing where I can't ever predict what's going to happen because I'm 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 learning what's happening a few seconds after it happened, and I'm starting to put pieces together. And so while while there's while there's you know that element of what you have where it's dragging up things from your past and you're you're associating it with that, the other side of that coin is if this is completely foreign to you it really does add something to the movie that that makes it scarier and creepier and i really enjoyed that um you know i that's that's a fantastic point and you know it's it's so it, it's a thing that I, I i don't really consider you know and and i think that most of us don't really consider this when we watch um movies you know it's just like we bring our own life experience into these things and you know they are what they are for us and um, while I can watch a movie and then, 
you know, think to myself, well, it wasn't for me, but I, I know that that's something that someone else can enjoy. Right. Um, I don't often think about why it is that that's something else that someone can enjoy. Uh, and I think context is one of those things too, you know, um, well, um, I, I was reminded of something that Linda Blair said about the the making of The Exorcist, where she said that, um, you know, and The Exorcist is one of those things where um, Catholics know what an exorcism is from a very early age because they're performed all the time. And, right. and and it's not something like the way that it's performed in the exorcist, but exorcisms are performed at baptisms. They're performed in masses. They're performed all the time and nothing spectacular ever happens. Right. You know, it's just part of the, the religious rite. And um, she talks about how uh, Linda Blair, when she was making the exorcist for her, it was a fantasy film. Because she didn't grow up Catholic. Uh, she grew up uh, Lutheran or something like that. And um, she, you know, for her, the, the devil was a fictional character. Right. He was he was just that dude from the book. He was not someone you needed to be afraid of, because if you believed in God, you went to heaven. And that was it. You know, um, so uh, I think that's, you know, the the the, the Baptist concept of uh, of grace. Yeah. You know, um, and and that's um, that's something that like I had never considered, you know, because I saw The Exorcist and I was like, oh, it's the fucking devil. That's the big bad, you know. Yeah. And 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 lots of people are watching it like, oh, this is this is great. This is fantastic. And and the devil is nothing more than just Megatron to them, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> not not in 1973 when it comes out. Megatron hadn't been invented yet, unfortunately, you know. Uh, right. But, but you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, so um, I think that that's such an interesting concept where it's like, you know, yeah, this thing um, means something to me and it means something entirely different to you because it's only the context that the movie's giving you. Yeah, exactly. Everything mm -hmm. I had to go on was delivered to me in this package. So right. I, I'm I'm literally building the car as I'm going along <laughs> for the ride. Like I'm just I'm just picking up whatever I can and trying to keep this thing running. And that. While it was exhausting, it really did add to how scary it was because I I never there was never a moment where I felt like I knew what was gonna happen mm -hmm. because like I, I didn't have enough context. You know, I'm sitting there wondering why this dude doesn't think it's creepy that some ridiculously old woman is talking to him without uncovering her face. You know, right. and so and then I go and look it up and it's like, oh, that's not that uncommon, right? Standard like standard rules. Yeah. yeah. And it was like it's like <laughs> Cause I'm sitting there like, obviously this, this woman is not who you think she is or she'd show you her face. And I go and look at it. It's like, Oh no, they don't show their face all the time. Yeah. Word. Like, sign, you know, like sign of humility. Yeah, yeah. Like that type of stuff. It, it keeps, it, it kept me on my toes and I enjoyed that. Well, and, and we're, I, I think we're, we're starting to get close to story. So in a section that we're calling a reading from the gospel, according to Valak, um, there's, there's a, it's weird because I feel like there's a lot going on in the story here, and yet there's nothing going on in the story here. And remarkably I think that, accurate. Wait a minute. Yeah, it's 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 so strange because there there's there's so much here, and yet there's there's so little. Um, is there anything about this story of um, basically Sherlock Holmes and Watson right. strolling into a convent, which is basically the name of the rose which if you've never seen that movie or read that book the movie stars sean connery as 
basically Sherlock Holmes strolling <laughs> into a convent where there's been a murder. It's fucking spectacular. I think it's Christian Slater's very first movie. It is so good. Okay. Right? Anyway, um, I got sidetracked. Sorry. I, I now now I was thinking name of the rose. The books by Umberto Eco. It is the most complicated fucking book you've ever read, and it is spectacular. Anyway, um, the uh, this you know Sherlock Holmes and Watson scroll into uh, stroll into this abbey, and they're investigating what is a, apparently the suicide of a nun, right? And and then you know Scooby Doo antics ensue. Yep. So, is there anything that for you? worked particularly well anything that you still find confusing or did was this one of the aspects of the movie you're like yeah no this is fucked so i think that for the 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 idea of this storyline being so simplistic i think it kind of plays into the fact that they the 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 creators of the film kind of acknowledge that the a lot of people who were going to be watching this were going to be like me and they were going to kind of be figuring out some of the ins and outs of of this. And, and then also I've got to, you know, I've got to assume that Catholicism has at least kind of changed in 70 years. Right. So it has actually. Yeah. Um, and, and very shortly after this movie takes place. Um, and this is some just, you know, Catholic history for you. Um, the Second Vatican Council took place and it changed a lot of the rules which were like old school rules that go back like hundreds and hundreds of years so a lot of things changed very shortly after this movie was made there's another thing about catholicism like you just got this one dude and he says stuff and so it is written so it shall be done right you yeah know? <laughs> and, and, and and he is according to the big book infallible right. Right, exactly. So, yeah, what, whatever he says, it goes. <laughs> two popes ago, he's like, you know what? Purgatory is not a thing anymore. And everybody's like, um, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, like, anyway, so, you know, I think that that, that, that you, even the even the Catholics that are watching this, um, they they had to, you know, they're still learning kind of how some of this stuff works too. Mm -hmm. So you so you 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 front load a lot of that stuff, and then what you do is you stretch out this this very kind of thin story, and you rely on your your actors' performances. You rely on a lot of special effects. Yeah, the story here is absolutely nothing fantastic to write home about you called it scooby-doo antics and i mean you're on it there there are there are plenty of scenes in this where you're just watching something happen and then it's over and it's over right mm -hmm. and, and and that then you move past that moment there are plenty of times where the camera's just panning just because it just looks creepy around there and they, they just want you to get that feel there's there's not a ton to this story however there is some really good uh demonology and things that get worked into the story in a way that make them highly accessible i was hoping you'd go here um and so they 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 very they very briefly kind of address the idea in the conjuring 2 where we we were first introduced to the nun the idea that if you if you have the demon's name you have power over them and so they went deeper into that where it didn't just become the idea of of having the name and the power is turned over to you like that. 
which in my interpretation of reading a lot of these things, isn't how it was ever supposed to be meant. What you get is you get a priest who gets the name. And so now he has the power to figure out what this demon's all about. It, it, it's not just that the name gives you authority over, it's that having the name allows you to do the research and put in the work and figure out what this demon's all about and then know your enemy. And it becomes that type of thing. So we get these really great scenes where he's flipping through these ages old uh, illuminated manuscripts and he's, and he's scrolling through all of this stuff, just reading, reading about Valak because he's going to go into battle prepared. That part of the story. I loved, I loved the idea of this whole thing being built around, you know, a certain spot, for a certain reason, because there are things like this that happen. If you've ever read about um, the uh, the I, I always have hit, I've always said um, Gijus, but I think it's Gages Codex, um, also known right. as the, the Devil's Bible. When you delve into the history of that, it it you can see where some of the the parts of this story actually came from. There is an area where the earth cracked open, and they were convinced that the, that these devils were coming out and so they literally built a inward facing castle around this spot so that they could be vigilant and that nothing would ever come out of it and terrorize the world and so you're getting these really good pieces of what are accurate historically or literature literary literarily um accurate uh demonology type things and i really enjoyed that surprising no one that's what i walked away from (laughs) really loving here was that while you get horror movies that have demons and things all the time and like i said even when we kind of meet who valak is in in the conjuring 2 the way that Valak is is beaten and sent back is still just kind of glossed over in this one, we get that really good, uh, that really good idea of delving into how all of this is not just scary because she looks scary and she's terrorizing people, mm-hmm. but we learned that she's scary because culturally she is beyond a monster. Because she's not just there to torture people. We get this story of understanding that she is a foretelling of things to come because if she is allowed to be free on earth, then everything that follows is going to be worse. We're not just fighting this one thing. We're fighting the end of the world, which is, which they, they, they tiptoe around without ever really deliberately saying those are the stakes, but making it very well known that those are the stakes. One of the things that, always in my opinion has made the the japanese version of just about any movie that's been remade in america better is the fact that in that japanese version there are high stakes that you understand if you understand the culture and that yes. is and what- there's lots of cues like with 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 music and and stuff that like is going right by us right that is those are the stakes that they established in this movie even if you were learning the culture associated with it as you watch this story then you got the opportunity to fully understand that 
that exorcisms don't just happen because a demon is is a danger to that person. Exorcisms happen because a demon is a danger to the world. Mm -hmm. Because every time one of them is free, that tips the scales a little bit more to the evil side. So these things aren't just a threat to your one loved one. If this demon is allowed to continue, they're a threat to the world. And this movie established those stakes amazingly well. That was one of the most That whole side story with Daniel, me. I think, yes. is 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 so great because you you see how um I guess the, the dichotomy of where the church stands on it as an organization where it's like, Hey, you stopped this, uh, this demon infestation into our world. Um, but then the, the torment that father Burke feels at losing Daniel, you know, that's, um, to, to, to me, that's, that's one of the best things about this movie. I think you hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, man. Um, you know, to, to me, this story is, about as close as we've gotten in many years to a hammer horror film. Um, and I know I said that at the top of the hour. Um, and I know that hammer had a resurgence many years ago. Um, you know, the woman in black, the woman in black with Dan Daniel Radcliffe, spectacular. right? Yeah. Danny Radcliffe. Yeah. It, it, it was, it was great. It was, and, and, and that's a movie that I would love to do at any point on the podcast. Um, and I've never even considered it until right now. And I don't know why. Yeah, um, I thought about it in a while, but wow, what a great movie! And it did feel like a hammer horror movie. Um, I think the only other movie that comes to mind is maybe uh, Crimson Peak. Oh, um, yeah, you know, that has a very hammer feel to it, and it's just that, like, I guess the gothic thing is played out, yeah, and and this movie feels like like gothic horror to me. And, you know, and, and it's partly by design because it takes place in, in an abbey that was built in the Middle Ages. You right. know, um, but uh, to me, that is all all of the stuff that's going into what makes what you put so perfectly. It's creepy. Yeah. It's really creepy for me. It's it's an atmospheric horror that you don't find too much anymore, which I think we find in a lot of Mike Flanagan's work. Where, like, it's not about the jump scare. There's one jump scare in The Haunting of Hill House, and it's spectacular. Oh, it is, it is really, terrifying. really good. Yeah. It's, it's great. I, I call it the greatest jump scare in the history of jump scares. It's also good. Um, however, that's not what you think of when you think of that show. It's, it's the psychological horror that's going on there. And, and, and I think that what this movie does so well is it, the Abbey feels not like a real Abbey but it feels like that Abbey. And to me, it's taking place in this weird dreamscape that the hammer horror films took place in. Uh, it's, it's such a, a weird sort of like non realism realism that's happening in this movie where, uh, and they're not doing it by putting the camera out of focus. They're not doing it by, using weird lighting or anything like that. It just feels dreamy. It yeah. feels like a nightmare, like those nightmares where like nothing quite makes sense. And you're trying to make sense of it. And you're like, but I just don't understand why this is happening. And yet you're terrified in that nightmare. And that's what's going on here. Where like, do they perfectly explain everything that's happening in this movie? No. And yet the abyss does not become any less scary. Right. 
why is she there? The evil is seemingly coming out of that one locked room. Why would she be there? Why would, um, you know, all those nuns suddenly appear in that room when uh, Taisa Farmiga's praying? Right. They shouldn't. You know, in fact, no one should be there. And yet the evil is seeping out somehow and it's never explained. It. And, and and I'm OK with that. You know, are are there really zombies there or yeah. was that just, again, mind games? I don't know. And I don't care because to me, that's exactly what this movie was going for is that dreamscape that I think it accomplished very, very well. Uh, to, to me, it feels exactly the way it's supposed to feel. The um, the side story with the town, I feel like, is something that people can very easily harp on. Right. It's like, well, wh- why are we going back to the town? We just need to see Frenchie come back and like save the day. Which it, 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 in spades, what a hero moment! Yeah, no, it's it's, it's a fantastic moment. I'm glad I'm glad that everyone survives, right? You know, to the extent that he does, because they tie it into that first conjuring, and 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 I think that that's a nice way to tie the whole universe together. But um, the moment where he's in the bar and they're talking about how they just buried, you know, someone's daughter, you know, that something needs to be done about the abbey up the road. To me, that is where the real magic in this movie is. Yeah, because I I think that as as much as that that hammer and and that old school universal feel was present throughout the whole movie, it was never as present as it was in that one scene. That scene added nothing to the greater story, and yet to me, that's where the beauty of the story is. It's in the people. And I think that that's something that Universal and Hammer understood. I think that that's something that somehow got lost in the 70s as we started getting um, uh, or, or in the 80s as we started getting into like the the slasher and you know stuff like that, where things became more about the killer instead of about the the the, the people being killed. Right. Um, you know, you just needed fodder for for that machete. And, and I'm OK with that because I like that kind of movie, too. But there's there's something about seeing uh, a bartender who clearly has had this bar in his family for generations, the same shotgun hanging over his, yeah. you know, o- over the bar that's been there for years. You know, the, the guy crying in the corner because he's just buried his daughter, you know, the 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 woman who's crying in, in another corner because her son just died. You know, that sort of like real town environment that's happening. Right. And, and to, again, to me, that's the magic of the story. Again, establishing stakes that that mm-hmm. now we're, we're not just watching. We're not just watching Father Burke, you know, fight to just protect him and and, and his people. We're, we're, he's he's working. He's fighting to save this town, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if it, and if it can leak out into that town, you know, it can go. It can continue. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we, we, we mentioned Sherlock Holmes. We mentioned Scooby Doo. One thing about the story that was really funny to me is we get we get an indiana jones moment there too yeah 
Um, you know, when suddenly it's like, oh, Mary's pointing the way and there's the beam of light and they yeah. got to like dig the ancient talisman out, you know, that has the actual blood of Jesus in it and stuff like that. What a great deus ex machina. Right. You know, <laughs> it's like, how, how do we stop this unstoppable evil? Blood of Christ. Blood of Christ. Yeah. Like actual <laughs> literal, not, not, not just some wine that changes in your mouth, but quite right. literally. Right. Not, not, not magic happy juice. No. Right. Yeah, like literal blood. And so and so you did start to get some moments like that where okay, yeah, like did it did it kind of come off the rails where were they were they running low on ideas at that point? Yeah, maybe. You know, but they they did establish just so many other things that were good, but man, yeah, just that act 3 I do think is is when it started to fall apart because we did start to get kind of these like action movie sequences almost. Mm -hmm. And like I said, that that whole thing was straight National Treasure, Indiana Jones with with finding with finding the thing. And, you know, like 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 we said, no, this movie's not perfect. There are definitely some things that, you know, you can kind of pick out here and there Mm -hmm. when when she she puts the blood in her mouth, as we eventually learn. What a fantastic moment. It was it, that was wonderful. Yeah. The problem was in between seeing that the cross was empty and her spitting, there's an entire scene where her mouth is open underwater. Right. So <laughs> you've got to assume that the blood didn't just stay in there at that point. Right. Like, and yeah, that's nitpicky stuff, but hell, that's part of what we do here too. Right. Is, yeah. is you, you look for those little things. Uh, so that one, that one kind of got me and I'm not going to say it completely pulled me out of it because like you said, up until this point, I didn't know what to expect. So yeah, sure, let the statue of Mary point the way. It definitely didn't pull me out, but just you know, right. if, if, if we're referencing kind of other types of movies that that were happening here, uh, that that was that definitely got real Indiana Jones there uh, yeah. towards the end. <laughs> it, it 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 did. Um, and I'm never one to complain about having you know that sort of Indiana Jones national treasure romancing the stone Tomb Raider thing <laughs> going on. Um, I always want more adventure in everything. Oh yeah, dude! I, I <clears throat> I've I've played every Uncharted game and watched the movies. You know, yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love all of that. Yeah, let's solve the puzzles and 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 find the you know the lost city of El Dorado or whatever we're happy right. to be looking for this time. I'm I'm here for it. And the the, the thing is that a lot of like catholic doctrine is like that where it's like there's there's so much like um smoke and mirrors right when it comes to to catholicism it's like why do we do this it's like because a couple of guys all dressed in white decided that we did so many years ago and why damn, did they decide that well i don't know we dan brown's got an entire career based off of it. you know and, and angels and demons really is just indiana jones meets the catholic church meets horror Right. You know, or or more horror than Indiana Jones already is because Indiana Jones is hard light. Oh, yeah, yeah, rips a um, beating heart out. Like, let's yeah, go. you know. So, uh, you know, you heard it here first. Temple of Doom will be on <laughs> shiver. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I, th- to me, I think that part of why the um the Catholic and and religious setting overall, but I think Catholicism in general. Uh, or Catholicism specifically is because of how clandestine a lot of Catholicism is, you know, a lot of it is so steeped in, in secrecy, you know, and it's like, uh, unless you're part of the club, you don't know what's going on here. Um, 
I, I know that that's true of, of other religions as well. Um, you know, Leonard Nimoy spoke about that, you know, about, you know, being a boy and going to temple and, you know, opening his eyes in a part that he shouldn't have opened his eyes. And that's where, you know, the, the live long and prosper sign comes from. Right. He, he, he saw, he saw that happening in the synagogue. He's like, Oh, I, I didn't know what that was. And I got scared and I closed my eyes again. You know, the, the, to, to me, that's part of why this makes such a great setting. And, you know, for me, I, I don't know if uh, Demayim Bachir or, or Teisa Farmiga are Catholic. Um, I don't know if, you know, James Wan is Catholic, if anyone involved in this movie is Catholic, but they got the vibe. And, right. um, you know, as at least as far as I know, and I am fairly well versed in, you know, Catholic teaching, there's a lot of it that is like on point. Um, it, it's a lot of the reason why I, I don't consider myself Catholic anymore because of, of all that stuff. <laughs> but, but like, but it's, it's still there in the back of my mind. Like I, I, I know it all. I could probably go on jeopardy and do pretty well if this was the subject and, and, and they, they got it and they wove it into a story in a way that for me felt natural to me. That's part of why this story works so well. Right. And so, you know, I mentioned I mentioned as I was talking about story, the fact that while it is paper thin, what we rely on here is the performances of the actors involved. So in a section that we're calling clergy and lay people, I want you to take me through some of the characters in this movie, man. Like who sticks out for you? Uh, what did you like? Who did you like? Who felt like they phoned it in? Um, you know, I don't feel like anyone phoned it in. And that's weird to say of a movie that I think is um, good, but not great. Right. Um, the performances, I don't think, um, were ever an issue for me. Um, I I will say that everything that happened in the town was fantastic. And I think that the people that played the townspeople were just so damn good. They were uh, they felt real. They felt alive in their own dreamscape way. Because right. they, 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 they don't feel like people, but they also don't feel like caricatures. They're just they just are in a weird way. Um, but as far as um, like, you know, the, the, the big name characters, um, I'm, I'm going to go with one that I mentioned um, briefly. But um, Gabrielle Downey, who plays the abbess, and I'm pretty sure that it, she's just doing the voice. Right. Um, Wow. There's something about that voice. It's so gravelly. It's it's so um, ancient sounding. And, yes. you know, she's she is clearly old. But wow, what she can do with her voice. Like to me, I don't think anything terrified me quite as much as her voice. And, um, you know, the, the way that wh whoever played her um, and I think think the actress who was like in the costume her name was uh alma nicole uh Boisgenou. i think that's Better who that I was um fantastic job you know that combination of like the physicality of the performance which was not at all something that was physically demanding but it was something that was very precise in the way it was done you know i think of it almost like it's very easy to say like eddie van halen or like Randy Rhodes are incredible guitar players because they play so fast and so clean. And yes, that's true. But then you look at someone like David Gilmore from Pink Floyd 
you know, and you listen to that solo from Comfortably Numb, and there's no speed to it at all. It's just every note is just right. And yeah. that's that's what that performance was to me. Every movement was so perfectly synced to the voice. Every movement was 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 perfect to build tension. And that character for me is walking away this second time, like far and away, I think the one that stands out the most to me. Yeah. I don't know about you. I, I mean, I look, I, I would be remiss to not open up by just saying how brilliant the casting of Taisa Farmesia was in this. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, one, she's established Scream Queen at this point, you know, reoccurring roles on American mm-hmm. Horror Story. You know, she she's out there doing it. So she's we know she's got the scary chops, but damn, it was so perfect to because she looks just like a younger version. Of Vera. her sister. Yeah, yeah, she looks like Vera, just younger. You know, and they're separated by what? Like 18, 20? Like Many years. A big yeah. age gap. But so you, so without saying it, you kind of establish that this is part of Lorraine Warren's history by just right. casting Taisa Farmesia in this role and having her look just like Vera looks playing uh, Lorraine Warren. So I thought that that was great just casting but then also, I mean, she went and did the damn thing. Yeah. She she was she she plays scared so convincingly. But then it's also still convincing when she gets her final girl ultimate badass moment. Mm-hmm. And that was something that we would see in sections when you were watching an American Horror Story, you go back to Murder House yeah. and and you caught her as just the damsel in distress. But then you go forward two seasons into Coven and she is that bitch, right? Like, like yeah. she is not to be fucked with. In this movie, we got her realist, uh, uh, um, realistically and believably portraying both of these roles. We watch her go from... Oh, but I, I haven't taken my vows yet. And why me to like, all right, let's do this shit. Give me my vows. Let's go. We're saving yeah. the world. Like we see that progression and it was believable in, in everything that she gave us out of that performance. I thought that she was just brilliantly casted. I enjoyed seeing her in that role that scene when she's when she's praying when when um who's it ruth i think or irene like grabs her like the only Mm -hmm. thing you can do is pray just don't look no matter what happens you look forward and you pray that the look in her face is she was so terrified but so determined that she was going to stick this out and she was going to win that moment for me cemented the fact that I could believe wherever she was going forward with this role because she was no longer just tame damsel in distress. She wasn't just my girl Friday to mm-hmm. um, to Father Burke's, you know, big bad hero. She established herself in that moment as an equal part of the team. And as we come to find out a, a more important part to an extent, because, you know, she was, she was ultimately what was, what was the final barrier in stopping Valak from getting free and taking over the world. And it was, I, I didn't feel, I didn't feel Mary sued about it at all. I felt no. like the way that she portrayed that character and the way the story progressed when she did become ultimately badass at the end, I felt like it was deserved for everything that she had done, learned and been through 
until that moment. So combination of her performance and that character arc, I think led to um, Sister Irene's part being amazing. And Taisa Farmesia just was perfect in that role. Yeah, she, she's been like fucking I've been obsessed with her. Uh, I think the first thing I saw her in was um, uh, the, uh, the show. Um, American American Horror Amer- Story. American Horror Story. Yeah, and and you're right. Well, you know, she was very much, um, you know, um, a passive character in that first season, that third season. You know, when we see her character in that last shot. Yeah. You know, and she's using her power to, like, get back at people. I'm like, yeah, that's fucking badass um you know and 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 then final girls which we've seen before uh and 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 done done on this show you know like she i think continues to show that she is someone who you watch when 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 you see that she's in a movie it's like okay i want to watch this thing now um and i think they did a good job of establishing her character right from the beginning when you know she asks Father Burke, like, but why me? And he says, Well, the the Vatican never makes a mistake. And she says, when she's giving him his backstory, she talks about how she survived something like this before. There's right. a strength, there's a strength in her going going back to her childhood. And 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 I think that she does a really good job of like the 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 steely reserve. You know, right. um, where it's like, you know, she has this iron will and um, I'm glad we got to talk about her because um, I, I I love her as an actress. I um, I end up loving every character she plays. There's there's obviously a magic to to her that to me works. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the, I think we've mentioned a lot of people. The one that I think we've kind of skirted around a lot is the nun herself uh sister valak and um she is as we discussed one of the most terrifying things about that second conjuring movie and now here she is front and center and she's got the whole movie to terrify us so um what is it about valak that works for you and did it work as effectively this time around as it did in conjuring 2 and okay so here's the thing i i because of just where my mindset always is when I'm looking at these two things, I kind of, I, I kind of have a like a, a line in the sand that I, that I'm pushing between Valak and uh, and the the nun, right? Like I get that they're the same person, but I think that's one thing that one thing that's real important to kind of remember is that the the nun is just the version of Valak that's being presented to us in this movie. Uh, I say that to point out just a couple of things. One, I think that the the idea of using any any time you use an actual you know lesser keys of Solomon uh, dictionary, it's the Infernal Dictionary. I'm not going to try to pronounce it in the foreign language, right? Anytime you actually use one of those one of those demons, then you you have to, in my opinion, take the time to kind of establish what they're all about. Now, when you read Lesser Keys, Valak is just kind of mentioned. But what's really interesting is the fact that uh, Valak is actually portrayed as angelic 
uh, in Lesser Keys and in the Infernal Dictionary. Like, I mean, like cherub-like. I mean, it looks like a child riding a dragon. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that was that was weird to me um, at first. But that notwithstanding, when I look at just Valak presented to us the way it is here as the nun, she's scary as shit. I, I mean, it's just there's. I think that what's interesting about how scary the nun is, is some of the things that are never outright said, but that are showed to us that port- that show us how powerful Valak is. I think that one of those things that shows how powerful Valak is, is the concept of Valak taking the form of a nun in the first place. When you read and you look into some of this stuff, traditionally, a demon, uh, unless it is a very higher order demon, which Valak is not it's named, right? So better than just a minion, right? But I want to say, I want to say, bottom thirty when you're looking when you're looking at where they're ranked in Lesser Keys of Solomon. But the idea of a demon actually being able to possess and own uh, religious um uh not uh, uh like art garments right just just uh just uh, icons of a religious nature and being able to use those that displays and demonstrates an immense amount of power and and is something to be terrified of the fact that it took a hallway full of crosses to keep Valak in that room for so long. The fact that it took a key that we kind of assume must have been blessed or, or, you know, has had this, the, the blood of Jesus Cristo placed on it. You know, these, the way that Valak was contained in this shows how powerful Valak is. Yes. We get the moments where she's just straight force pushing people across the room, right? Just slinging them around, drowning people just unrelentlessly. We get those things, but those did less for me as somebody who reads about this stuff all the time to show how powerful she is than the imagery we're given. And so I loved that. I absolutely loved it. I think that, I think that the idea of taking something like this and just completely, you know, it, it's just straight heresy, right? Mm-hmm. That that a nun could look like this. That's dope. I, I dig <laughs> all of that. I do have to say, though, in The Conjuring 2, the nun was very scary, and we got the nun in small doses. Mm-hmm. I think that when we started to get the nun in larger doses – with close-ups and immense amounts of screen time, I think that it kind of came across as they were trying a little too hard to make her look creepy. Mm-hmm. I, I, it got it got cartoonish at a certain point. It, it it became she became a caricature of the the evil character that we got originally in The Conjuring Two, and so some of the visuals are striking and scary in small glances and fast pans and just a scream. But then when it's like, now I'm going to monologue, it's like, shit, you don't look great. You know? (laughs) Right. And so I I think that, I think that they, they leaned real heavily into how creepy she was going to look. And then I think that, like I said, when she started monologuing, it, it wasn't as effective 
in the long run as it was in the short. But I do think that there were vulgar displays of power here that that were that were amazing. And, and I'm not taking anything away from how scary the concept of the nun was. I just think that visually sometimes they tried a little too hard. Um, you know, I, I have to agree with this because for me, the scariest thing about this movie was actually the abyss and not yeah. the nun. And we got the abyss in two scenes. The scenes were long enough and no longer. And, and I think that that is one of the things that worked in her favor, just like how it worked in the favor of Valak in Conjuring 2, like you said. And um, to me, I think that the scariest thing about her is the visage, is the way that she looks. And right. once you get over that, once you've seen it, the the fright is gone. Exactly. You know, um, because yeah, like you said, there are vulgar displays of power, but ultimately how much power are we actually seeing? Because none of it really happens. It all seems psychological. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, like, so did, like she didn't actually tear the, 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 the cathedral down or the, the whatever the main area is there. She didn't actually, yeah. you know, tear that apart and create a storm and all that. Was that all happening in Irene's head? You know, like that type of stuff. Like, yeah, it's all psychological. We we might not be seeing, except for, like I said, the couple of force pushes. We maybe didn't actually see that much that was powerful. Right. Um, it, it really just is like a battle in the mind, I think. And this is part, part of where the movie starts to fall apart when you think about it too much, is what actually happens in this movie. Um, because is the only time we actually physically see Valak at the end of the movie, you know, right. Um, you know, is, is that the only time that something is physically happening? Um, the rest of the time, how is she getting out of the room? Right. You know, because we're told that she just needs a vessel. Yes. And, and so, so that's, that's why um, the, the, the sister, you know, throws herself off the, you know, the, the top of the Abbey in the first place that leads to all this so that, you know, there is no vessel for her to leave. Right. In. Um, so I, I think that ultimately it's, um, I think that all you have to do is look to this movie to find out why the crooked man never happened. Right. Um, because agree. the, the crooked man was another, I think ridiculously scary character from that second conjuring movie may be scarier than the nun. And um, there was all this talk about how this movie was going to happen. Um, I mean, he got his own action figure. Yeah. And yet here we are. It's it's 2023 and we still don't have the Crooked Man. And it doesn't look like it, it, it's ever going to happen. And I think it's because it, this movie did not flop. No. It, it, it did well enough to, to, uh, to get a second. And uh, the second one, by all accounts, has uh, done at least critically better than than the first one did um but this this movie did not flop it had a budget of 22 million dollars and its box office gross was 365 and a half million right so that that is a considerable amount of money um but i think that the the reaction to the movie by and large was not what they were expecting 
I think that they were expecting people to absolutely love this movie. Um, they were expecting people to just go gaga over it the way that they did Conjuring 2, and that didn't happen. Yeah, And and I think that a lot of that does have to do with the nun. Um, and, and even on this second watch where I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's a lot better than I gave it credit for. Um, I still think she's the weak point in this movie. Well, and, and horror as a genre is, is rife with this exact pitfall, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, Actually, I don't think it was on this podcast, but I may have mentioned it. But I know for a fact we did it on Rush 4 one time when we, we talked about sequels to movies, that, that bad sequels to good movies. We did a mm-hmm. whole episode about it. And my number one, the main reason I came up with that topic is because Sinister 2 is such a steaming yeah. pile. And it's because all of the mystery surrounding Bagul was removed when Bagul becomes a character, like, like a main character in the right. movie. You, you don't, you don't need that. You, you don't need in this type of movie where it's supposed to be atmospheric and just terrifying all the time. Once, once the big bad is not just a shadow that you're constantly watching over your shoulders for once it's a physical being that you can see, then you kind of get into that predator mindset, right? It bleeds. We can kill it. You know, once you've once you've got a body and something that you can focus on, then it becomes a lot easier to pick it apart. There's not a lot negative to say about the nun from Conjuring 2 because she's there to scare us and then she's gone and we move forward. And the same thing with the first Sinister. Bagul is fucking horrifying because he's just a blurry image in the back of a in the back of of a photograph. He's just a concept that's causing all of these films to be made. But then when you take them and you you make them a centerpiece and the mystique is gone, then it's not as scary. And and I do think that 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 is a major pitfall that happened with this movie. I think that they were so enamored with people's idea of what the nun was from this this one image in the painting or you know just or these these quick moments that we got with her in the conjuring 2 they were like yes this broad can carry a movie and and so they they created a a scenario in which she had that opportunity and yeah what we kind of end up with here is once she becomes a major player that we're seeing on a regular basis and that mystique is gone you go oh man like everybody else is better than you right now. <laughs> yeah, and and I don't think it's her her fault because the the actress that that plays her Bonnie Aaron's I think does a fantastic job. Right. I think it's just that the character itself is not as compelling a character as they thought that she was. Now I haven't seen the second nun. I don't know what if anything they've changed about the character. But I think that for the nun two to work, they need to rework Valak. Oh man, have you seen some of the viral marketing they've done for the nun two? Where in certain theaters they had women like dressed as nuns, but like wearing just pure black face masks, like walk into the theater holding candles and fill empty seats. Oh shit. Oh, dude, it's fucking horrifying. Like, I, I found a bunch of Instagram reels of a couple places they did it. It was terrifying. Yeah. I, I would have lost my mind um, <laughs> uh, to, to support that point that you were making about screen time, uh, Daniel. Um, I, I just looked this up. So um, Christopher Lee as Dracula um, in the 
first of the Hammer Horror Dracula movies utters six lines of dialogue in nine minutes. That's Jeez, his yeah. that's his whole time in the movie that is named after him. Right. Uh, in the second sequel, because he doesn't appear in the sequel, um, the Prince of Darkness, he has no dialogue, no lines of dialogue and appears in seven and a half minutes. Yeah. And and many people will tell you that that is their favorite of of his Dracula movies. Um, I think that that it like economy of character, the less you see, the more you're scared of it. You know, think about the predator. Why does the predator work so well? You don't even see the predator until like halfway through the movie. You know, why does Jaws work so well? You don't you never see the you full never shark. see him. Yeah, <laughs> never. You know, and granted, was some of that because of technical difficulties? A hundred percent. But did it work better in that way? Even Steven Spielberg will tell you he's glad it happened. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I really do think that um, that's part of why Valak for me is the weak point. And I don't think it's a bad character uh, because she is scary to look at. If I saw someone looking like that walking towards me, oh, yeah. I would turn the other way. Yes, sir. Um but definitely the weak point of the movie. I think. Well, and and you know that's just that's just something that that that's just that's one of the downfalls that comes with with loving these things the way that we love them. You know, you you once the it, it becomes that moment where it's like sometimes I, you know sometimes I have that thought where I'm like if I actually met Mothman. I'd probably be disappointed, you know, yeah. <laughs> like because because there's just there's just no way he would be as cool as he is in my head, you know, because because then it would just be a thing, you know. It's that's what just basically any cryptid researcher is going to tell you. Like any cryptid, any cryptozoologist, if they're being honest with themselves, one has to admit that if they find the one thing they dedicated their life to, that now their life is meaningless. But they also have to admit that if you have done nothing for thirty years. But look for the Loch Ness monster, and you find her. Yeah, sure. There's going to be a lot of fame and a lot of money that comes with that. I'm sure you can monetize the shit out of it. But then also, like, there's there's no way. There's just no way that 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 when you finally do find the Loch Ness monster, it's going to be everything that you've built it up into your head to be. And when you've got just you know a few minutes of Dracula, a few minutes of the nun. Hell, um, the the Godzilla movie. I think he had seven and a half, eight minutes of screen time, yeah. um, in, in the 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 newest versions, in the first one. But that's because they they were like, hey, look at all these badass things he does. Back into the ocean. Now you can yeah. just wonder how badass he really is because we just gave you a taste. And and that's something Gareth Edwards understood. Like he went back to the basics and and not the nineteen ninety seven Godzilla basics. You know, <laughs> he, he, he did not call Matthew Broderick. You know, he, he, he looked up the original Godzilla. Yeah. And so I, I do think that, like you said, I don't think that there's anything that there's anything wrong with the character. I just think that the character was not utilized to the fullest of her potential. Yeah. And so, I mean unless there's anything else you know we kind of if you know, a couple couple of miscellaneous things that that I, that I did want to kind of throw in before we get to rating there were we we talked about the atmosphere and just a couple of things I forgot to mention the fact that the door where she's locked up says god ends here in latin yeah, that's a great touch fuck 
Yes. Like that should have been the tagline for this movie. Like I'm sure people would have been pissed. Right. <laughs> but it probably would have been the good kind of like negative publicity. Right. Like that, right. like, like Kevin Smith uh, boycotting dogma himself, you know, like that, that good stuff where you just like, where you're like the nun God ends here. Uh, yes. Yes, please. I go see that movie. Yeah. You know, like that, that is one where it settles into you just so, so fast. And there are times when they were perfect with it like that. And then there were times where they just got so kind of ham fisted with it. Like the, the, the crucifix slowly turning upside yeah. down. Like I get it. It's an upside down crucifix, you know? And so there's, there's, there's a funny mix of those things in there. Some of them fantastic. Some of them just a little bit too on the nose. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I am excited to see the nun too, because I want to see if they've kind of tightened some of these things up. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm right there with you. I do want to see it. I had no desire to see it before rewatching this. So I'm glad that you suggested this, um, because it has opened my eyes, I think, uh, to like the one corner of the conjuring universe that I was not a fan of. Right. So without further ado, I mean, it's time for us to rate this thing. Um, if you are new to the show or you just need a quick reminder, as it's been like four weeks, we <laughs> rate a movie only against itself. That means we are not stacking up the nun against Annabelle movies or anything else from the Conjuring universe. We are only looking at the nun, what is presented here, and how good of a film we think it is. And in order to preserve that, every movie, we create a unique rating system. Now... You want to know how the sausage is made? We're going to be a little bit honest with you here. Dave and I have both been super busy. <laughs> and you're going to get the the live debating here over what we should call, what how we should rate this movie. So, Dave, do you have any ideas what our metrics should be for The Nun? Um, I have to think that it's uh, Mary's pointing the way. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It doesn't yeah. get more unique than that. Right? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm like, man, we got, we, we got to pick something here that – we're never going to use again. There we go. So Dave, out of a possible five, Mary pointing the ways, what do you give the nun? Um, you know, I think that the right score is three and three quarter. Mary's pointing the way. However, we don't do quarter stars here. Um, and it feels wrong to say that the nun is for Mary's pointing the way. So, I think I'm going to go down to three and a half Mary's pointing the way. And uh, really what it boils down to is that the story doesn't really make an uh, an awful lot of sense. I don't care too much that the story doesn't make a lot of sense. And the nun is kind of the weakest character. Um, And, and in fact, the character, there's another character that is not the main villain that I find scarier. Right. So uh, to me, it, it's it's kind of like it loses steam somewhere there. Um, Indiana Jones gets thrown in, so I'm okay with it. Um, <laughs> and I'm never going to complain about having to look at uh, Thaisa Formiga. Um, I think she's gorgeous. So um, so there you go, three, three and a half. You know, I'm just about every step of the way right along with you because while three and a half – does feel a little bit lower than what I think it deserves. I think that going up to four feels 
like wronger. giving it too much credit. Yeah, it feels yeah. it feels wronger. And so in 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 the 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 idea of saying that this movie did a lot to impress me, but also there are a, a, there are things that I would like to see changed. I would like to see things toned. I would like to see things tightened up. I am going to go down to three and a half Mary pointing the ways because <laughs> that's a good one. Uh, just because it, it, it was, it was a fun ride. It was creepy. It was atmospheric. It, it did all of these things that we've talked about, but it just, it never quite crossed that last little bit, right. That starts to take it up into that four. Will I talk about this movie positively to people that I talk that, that, that want to talk about movies? Yeah. Just recently watched the nun. I think, I think it's a lot of fun. Is it going to be one where I'm going to be like, you have to see this. No. And is that kind of where the three, four barrier comes in for me? And I think, yeah. So I'm going to go three and a half Mary pointing the ways. Man, you know, I never thought about that. Like if I feel like I need to talk to someone about this thing that I just saw, that's a four. Right. If if I liked it, but I'm not like running to talk to you about this thing, that's somewhere in the threes, three or right. three and a half. Like I feel I, like I, three I like is I would recommend it, but four is like I'll recommend it and then I want to talk about it. You know, <laughs> like right. Like, then I want to know, like, like if it's a three, yeah, I'll recommend it. Tell me if you liked it or not. Cool, we're good. But I think, I think if, once I reach that four or five mark, it's like now I need you to call me because we've got to talk about this movie. Right, right, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm strapping you into the chair so that right. you can watch with me. <laughs> so yeah, there no, you yeah, have no, it. Five is I'm kidnapping you because we're watching this for the next two hours. You know? Yeah. <laughs> come, come, come into my van. I'll choose which mask I'm watching it with because we need to see the black phone now. Exactly. That sort of thing. Um, so um, thank you so much for sticking with us. Uh, it, it looks like some of you did. So thank you. Um, and um, we will be back next week. Uh Will we? Yes, we yes, will be back we will next be. week. Yes, yes. Sch- schedule uh, schedules are getting weird. We know spooky season's coming up. We're gonna try to go October without mm-hmm. missing a day, even though we both got some trips. We're gonna mm-hmm. work some things out. But yes, for the foreseeable future, we will be back next week, and we will be hopefully releasing our October lineup soon. Yeah, absolutely. If you have um, any sort of suggestion about what you think we should do if there's something new that's coming out um i don't know if talk to me is streaming yet it is not streaming yet because i have been patient not even uh, i've been impatiently waiting (laughs) for for that one to drop anywhere yeah i want to do that one also Um, last voyage of the demeter is one that i'm waiting oh yeah yeah that one i think is streaming (laughs) okay yeah Uh, so so that that might be one that uh that i got to pick up on itunes so that we can we can do it soon uh so on behalf of oh wait 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 wait. hold on before you sign off if you were not following us on instagram but you listen you need to make sure you head to shiverpod.com where you will find a new link because what do we have we have merchandise and it's more than just the little logo that you can see up here, which of course you can have put on a coffee mug, a pillow, tapestry or a t-shirt, but we have some spectacular art that local Tuscaloosa artist, Ellie Ray put together for us of Dave, and, park. of Dave and I as dueling Frankenstein's monsters that are sewed together, uh, <laughs> uh, woefully and fearfully made, right? Here there we, go. we go. Yeah. You can kind of see it in the background there. We have got some awesome art. You can have it put on anything. We've had a handful ordered. So if you are one of those people who's got one already, thank you so much. They look great. 
head to shiverpod.com where you can find links to all of our social media as well as a link to our T Public site where you can pick up that shirt. We'd love to see you have one. Don't forget also, Dave and I are going to be at Spooky Empire next month. So if you are in the Orlando area and you'd like to meet us, that's where you'll find us. Yeah, in uh, in just about five weeks, yeah, we will uh, we will be there. So uh, have some drinks with us at the hotel bar. Um, come stand in line with us as we stand in line to you know meet all our heroes. Uh, you know it's uh it's it, it's gonna be fun. It I definitely think. is. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much.